Well, good morning. Welcome once again to Calvary Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Ron Hudson, the lead pastor, and we are starting a brand new series today called Share Hope, and I'm super excited about this series. Um, this is, we are a church where broken people find hope, and we have a mission to help other people find hope in Jesus Christ. So last week, we talked about the resurrection, and we talked about how Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, and how the, woman, the women went to the tomb, and they found the tomb empty. And then the angel told him, go and tell his disciples to meet him. And we're going to pick up there today. Um, several things happened, but we're going to pick up there in Matthew chapter 28. Pastor Joe read this to us. Um, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus told them, meet me at the mountain. And when they saw him... They worshipped him. They worshipped him. But some doubted. Some doubted. And this whole series is about sharing the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And if you're a skeptic like me, believe it or not, I'm, I'm actually a skeptic. I'm skeptical about a lot of things. Just ask my wife. I'm always like, I don't know about that. It's fake news. Um, I'm skeptical about a lot of things. I look things up. I do the research because I don't want to believe things that are false and that are fake. Um, and if you're a skeptic like me, there's, there's always this something that pushes back in the back of your mind. And when someone says something like, everything's going to be okay, don't worry, everything's going to be fine, then there's something in the back of your mind that says, yeah, but maybe you're just not intelligent enough to think about all the problems, because I'm thinking about problems. And so you can have doubts in your mind. And sometimes when you're wired that way, you think that faith in God is, is never available to you, that you have to have this, this complete and total confidence every time uh, about every little thing. And I love this passage of Scripture here where it says, some doubted. These weren't just, just random people that doubted. These were disciples that had walked with Jesus. These were the 11. Judas wasn't there, but these were the 11. And some of them, seeing Jesus risen, they still doubted. Could this really be real? And so if you're a skeptic, if you doubt, if you have these questions in your faith, and sometimes you're like, is God really there? Is he, is he listening? Does he really care about me? You're not alone. You're not alone. You're in great company with the disciples, and you're in good company with me. If you're a questioner, then be encouraged, because our kind was there at this pivotal moment when Jesus gave his great commission. So Jesus starts speaking to them to those who believe, to those who doubt, to his disciples. And this is what he says. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. All power is given unto Jesus. All the power. Sweet. This is going to be great, right? I mean, I've got a whole list of things for Jesus to fix, Obviously, we start with cancer, cancer bad, but then let's talk about puppies. And you might be thinking, well, what's wrong with puppies? But think about it. What if puppies stayed puppies, right? I mean, think about it. They're so cute and cuddly and small, and then they grow up and they get big and make messes and bite things and bark real loud. What if puppies stayed puppies? We, if Jesus has all the power, maybe we could work on that. There's a whole lot of things I could imagine. Um, that Jesus could fix in this broken world if he has all power. So this is going to be great. I, I'm sure his disciples had to be really excited. Think about it. Jesus has all the power in heaven and earth. Why did 
Why did God give this power to Jesus, though? Because obviously we still have cancer. We still have puppies that grow up. We still have a lot of other bad things in the world. Why did, why did God the Father give Jesus this power? Well, it's pretty simple. It's because he could trust him with it. Because he could trust him with it. In John chapter 12, verse 49, it says, I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment. The Father gave him a commandment, which I, what I should say and what I should speak. And this is exactly what Jesus did. When Jesus spoke, he didn't speak of himself. He did exactly what God the Father told him to do, and he was obedient, even unto the cross. He was obedient unto the cross. This is why God said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, a low voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And God the Father said this because he was pleased, he was pleased with Jesus because Jesus was obedient to him. He was obedient. God could trust Jesus and was pleased with Jesus because Jesus demonstrated his willingness to be obedient. Jesus is obedient, and he dies on the cross, and he raises again, and God trusts him with all power because he's shown himself to be trustworthy through obedience. So why do, what does Jesus then want to do with his power? God's given him all this power in heaven and earth because he's obedient. What, is, what does Jesus want to do with it? Well, let's look and see. He says this, go ye, go ye, go ye. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Go ye, the ones who are not afraid, who never doubt, the ones with perfect family lives, the ones with no problems and no mess, the ones with perfect education. I have all the power in the universe, so I have selected you to go. And that's what he's saying. He's saying to his disciples there, not, not all the lists that I made. Remember, there's doubters in this group. There's people who, who don't even believe what they're seeing with their own eyes, what they touched in his hands and in his side. These are a bunch of fishermen. These are a ragtag bunch of fishermen, a tax collector. And he says, I want you to go. I have selected you. I have all the power in the universe. I can select anybody I want, and I've selected you, this group of disciples. That seems pretty crazy, doesn't it? It seems pretty crazy. And then this is what he asks of them. He says, I want you to teach. Teach all nations. Teach all nations. I want you to teach everybody on the planet, you, the, uh, the fishermen, and the tax collector, I want you to teach every single person on the planet. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And is that all? No, as a matter of fact, no, there's more. There's even more. Teaching them to observe, and that word observe is the third definition there. It's not just to watch the things that Jesus has said. God wants us to obey the things that Jesus said. Teaching them to observe, obey all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. So you, fisherman and tax collector, I want you to go and train the whole world to live like I have taught you to live. This is what Jesus says. It's a big ask. It's a huge, huge ask. And it, it's just said a few verses earlier that some of them were doubters, remember? This is an absolutely crazy plan. If you think about it, if you try to put it, put it together in, in your mind like you needed to teach the whole world something, 
you wouldn't probably select a couple of Jewish guys or a handful of 11 Jewish guys from varying backgrounds in the ancient world to train the whole world how to love like God loves. And you know what's even more crazy, though, is it worked. It worked. It actually worked. You and I know about this man, Jesus. We know about his death on the cross. We know about his resurrection. We know about the transformation because of this ragtag bunch of people. These 11 people, some of whom even doubted. We know about Jesus because it worked. In fact, they, they turned the whole world upside down. They went from this small town in Palestine and revolutionized. They, they changed Rome. The Rome, Roman religion was transformed and Christianity became the predominant faith because of what they did and because of what they saw. How did that, how did that happen? I mean, we know we, if we confess our sins and ask God to forgive us, that Jesus will forgive us. And we know, how do we know about this 2,000 years later? It wasn't the people that he picked to execute his plan. There were two reasons the plan worked. Number one is this. Jesus really does have all power. Jesus really, really does have all power. So he could do whatever he wants. And so if he wants a group of, of fishermen and tax collector to to change the world, then they can change the world. I mean, how else do you explain that the disciples turn the world upside down? How, how did a small group of people with a faith in Jesus take over pagan Rome and become the dominant religious view? How did these guys who were so scared they denied Christ while he was alive become martyrs who died to teach the world what Jesus taught? Jesus really did rise from the dead. They really did see him. But some of them doubted even after seeing him alive. So it wasn't the people. It was something else. The disciples had been taught how to use Jesus' power. That's the, the second thing. This is the second reason it worked. Jesus really did have the power. And the disciples had been taught how to use his power. So how did they use Jesus' power? Well, there's, there's three simple steps to using Jesus' unlimited power. And I want to talk to you guys about that today. And I think the best way to understand this is by looking at a story that Matthew wrote about Jesus in Matthew chapter 14. He wrote this account of their time with Jesus in Matthew 14. And when Jesus went ashore, that's the he here, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus has compassion on them. And compassion, God's compassion and man's compassion are different. We'll see that here in a second. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. That means there's nothing around here. There's no sheets. This is kind of like right now. If you're out and about, there's, there's no place to stop and eat. This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. It's getting late. People are hungry. Send the crowds away. Get these people out of here. Why? To go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Look, you need to send them away so they can go and buy food. Otherwise, they're going to be really hungry. We can't possibly help these people, Jesus. And human compassion versus God's compassion is what we're going to see here. The human compassion says we can't, we can't possibly help everybody. We can't possibly love the whole world. We can't possibly help everybody. I mean, you know, there's limited resources. And we can really only help somebody. 
And too often, the somebody that we decide as humans to help ends up being a somebody that looks like us, talks like us, sounds like us, is from the same part of the world as us, has the same political and religious views as us. And that's what human compassion does. But look at what Jesus' compassion is different. God's compassion is a whole different thing. In verse 16, Jesus said, they need not go away. You don't have to sit them home. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And so the lesson began. Jesus told them, do something they already believed that they were underqualified and under-resourced to accomplish. They're pointing out a problem here. We don't have enough food. There's too many people. What are we going to do? And so Jesus says, you feed them. You feed them. And they're, they're underqualified. They're under-resourced to pull this off. They don't, they don't have skills in, in making and feeding a massive amount of people. There's about 5,000 people, as we'll see in the, later on in the chapter. And that doesn't include the women and children. So Jesus almost always, Jesus almost always is the first, first lesson here. Jesus almost always asks you to do something you feel underqualified and under-resourced to do. So, then they explain to Jesus why this is a stupid idea. They say to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Do the math, Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter. Obviously, Jesus could do the math. He understood five loaves, two fish, 5,000 men, and then their wives and kids. Not enough loaves and not enough fish. And Jesus says to them, though, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. The disciple says, you don't understand. We don't got enough for all the people. And Jesus says, bring them to me. Lesson one, Jesus almost always asks us to do something that we are underqualified and under-resourced to accomplish. Lesson two, Jesus wants you to use what you have. He wants you to use what you have. He wants you to use what you have to try to do what he has commanded. He wants you to try. If you don't try, there will be no power. If you don't use what you have to take the first step, the first scary step, to do the thing that Jesus has told you to do, then there will be no miracle. There will be no power. And then the final step is in 19 and 20. Check this out. 19, he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Everybody have a seat. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, the blessing. Remember, Jesus always does stuff in obedience to God the Father, and he expects us to do the same in obedience to God the Father and in partnership with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples then gave them to the crowds. Now, I imagine me being a disciple, starting to pass this stuff out. And Jesus breaks the stuff up. He's got five loaves and two fishes, so I imagine there's baskets there, and he breaks, and there's a couple of fragments of, of, uh, of like bread in my basket, and then there's a couple pieces of fish, and I'm seeing, I'm counting, because I'm a skeptic. I'm counting as they're going into the basket. And he's, we're putting it in the basket, we're divvying it up, and then I go to the first row of people, and there's 5,000 people, and there's a giant row of people, and they're all set in these rows. And I go to the first row, and I start, I start handing them, and I'm like, I'm going to feed five people. <laughs> like Maybe, maybe five people. And so I'm like, you only take a little bit. Just, nope, 
One piece is enough. One piece is enough. And I go to the next person, just, just a small piece, just a taste. Just everybody gets a little taste, okay? We don't have enough to, just, just a little taste, you know. It's just a snack. It's not a whole meal, okay? And so then we go to the next person, just a little bit, just a little bit. And I can imagine myself going through the row, just a little bit, just, just a little bit. And then the guy grabs two, you put that back. Everybody's got to eat here, okay? And, so then, and we get through the row, and then the whole row's fed. And I'm like, huh. And I look, and I've got a few more, a few more. I'm like, well, I fed that row, but I'm not. Obviously, I'm not going to make it through the next row. But I'm, I'll just, I'll, I'll give what I have. So then I go to the next row, and the next row, and the next row, and the next row. Before you know it, everybody's fed. And the disciples all give together, and they collect up 12 baskets of fragments. Now, if there were 5,000 people there, after I feed about 2,000 people, everybody's got a threshold of belief, right? After, after I feed about 2,000 people, probably less than that, probably like 50 people, I'm going to be like, all of a sudden, my, my thought process is going to change. Where I was, hey, you only take a little bit, it's just a snack, it's just a snack. It's going to shift, it's going to transform. All of a sudden, instead of saying it's just a snack, I'm going to start saying, you look hungry, man, why don't you grab another piece? Hey, what? No, go ahead. Take some. You got the kids there. Grab, grab two or three. Don't you want more fish? Come on, buddy. You want a fishy, don't you? And I'm going to start, start pushing it on them, you know, like your mother-in-law does. Oh, you look hungry. Have some more. And it would change. If all of a sudden I realized and it dawned on me, I keep feeding people, I keep having more resources, then all of a sudden I'm going to become more generous. And what it's going to change in me. And I'm going to believe. And I'm going to I'm going to change. And that's exactly what God wants to do with us. Jesus takes what the disciples have. He blesses it. He tells the disciples to start passing it out. And they had to be afraid. We're not even going to feed the first row. But the next verse says they fed 5,000 people, not including the women and the children. So here's the process. Three parts. One, Jesus asks you, to do something you are under, underprepared for, underqualified for, and under-resourced for. You're underqualified and under-resourced. Number two, Jesus wants you to do something with what you have. He wants you to use what you have to try and do what he says. You try. You try. Great teachers are like this. Great teachers do this. They don't just do it for you and, and make it easy. They say, you try, because in the process of you trying and discovering what works and what doesn't work, you learn. And God wants us to learn. He wants to teach us like his kids, because we are his children. And number three, Jesus multiplies the effect when we try. And great teachers do this. They can see the confusion on the kid. They know the kid is, is scared and it's not going to work out. And they say, no, no, go ahead, go ahead, do it, do it, do it. And then in the process, the, the child or the young person learns to trust the teacher, and that we can accomplish more than we ever imagined that we possibly could. This is what Jesus taught them through experience. This is what Jesus called them to keep doing through the Great Commission. He called them to continue this in Matthew 28. He says, teaching them, the people that you come in contact with, the people that you see as you go out, as you go into all the world, teach them to observe, to obey all the things that I commanded you, just like you learned with the feeding of the 5,000 and the five loaves and the two fishes, you teach other people to do the same. 
And lo, here's a promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. And just like Jesus did with the fishes and the loaves, he wants to do that with your life. He wants to do that with your life. He wants you to follow him. Doubts and all. Mess and all. And that starts with confessing that you have sinned and asking Jesus to forgive you and make you a part of his family. But that's only the beginning. That's just the very beginning. He's then going to ask you to serve others. And here's the bottom line. If you don't try, if you don't take what you have and try to do the thing that Jesus is telling you to do, to serve others, and he calls us all to different things. There's some, there's some basic things that God calls all of us to do, like to, to share the gospel and to tell other people, but then he, he makes it really local and really granular and says, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And your neighbor's not my neighbor. And your neighbor doesn't need the same thing as my neighbor. He says, love your neighbor. And we are to serve one another. Your family's not my family. I'm supposed to serve my wife. You're supposed to serve your wife. You're supposed to serve your husband. You're supposed to serve your kids. You're supposed to serve your mom, your dad, and your brother, and your sister. And we're supposed to serve each other, and we're supposed to listen to the Holy Spirit of God and to what Jesus tells us that we should do and then do it. And oftentimes, it's going to be bigger than we think it could ever be accomplished, but he wants us to take what we have and take the first step and try and try. And as we try, then we grow. If we don't try, we don't grow. It's that simple. If we don't try, then we don't grow. And we are a church where broken people find hope, and that hope is in Jesus. And just like last week, I talked about how all of our lives have been dumped upside down. Hope has been dumped out too. Hope has been dumped out, but it's been spread all over our city, all over our county, and all over our state, and even all over the world as Christians have been dumped out of the church and dispersed. And you're on Facebook, you're on a website now, you might be watching this on Instagram, who knows where you're watching this, but you're watching. And you're, you're worshiping God and reading the Bible as a family together in your home. And because of the people of God, we are spread all over. The church is spread all over. And we have a unique opportunity to do something impossibly big we have an opportunity to share hope. We have an opportunity to share hope. So this week, I want you to share hope. First Peter 3.15, it says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And that's really important. So this is your homework. I want you to share why you have hope. We as Christians are always supposed to be ready to to explain why we have hope. And there's a lot of people without hope right now. There's a lot of people who've lost their jobs. There's a lot of people who are sick. There's a lot of people that are afraid. Anxiety is at an all-time high. There's a lot of people without hope. But as Christians, we have hope. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to finish the sentence. I have hope because. I want you to use that as a writing prompt. I want you to use that as a thought-provoking prompt. I have hope. Because, and then I want you to take it a step further. I want you to record a video or write a post on Facebook, 
YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you use, wherever you're at, maybe it's on Twitch, maybe it's uh, to a friend on Xbox Live chat, maybe you call somebody, maybe you FaceTime somebody, maybe it's on Zoom, but I want you to share this message of hope. Why do you have hope right now? Why do you have hope? I want you to articulate that. I want you to think about where you're at, what you have, what you are thankful for, what God is doing in your life. What are the, the opportunities? What is the, what is the hope that you have in Christ? And I want you to share that. I want you to share hope with those around you because it's your responsibility. Just like the 11 disciples that he said, many of them were doubters even in that moment. He said, go ye, you go. And that's what Jesus has told us. We can't just stay in the church building anymore. We have to leave the church building and share hope. That's what the psychot is. We are out of the church. We are leaving the building and becoming the church. So I want you to share hope. That's your homework this week. I have hope because. I want you to share that. Use the hashtag share hope. That way people know. And we can, we can share those on our Facebook page. We can hopefully encourage other people to share hope as well. So that people know that there is hope available to them through the church and through Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I pray for your supernatural power. You said you have all power in heaven and earth. So I pray that you would give us your power. Give us your power to write our stories of why we have hope. The things that have happened to us, the things that you have done, the, the ways you've sent people into our lives, the ways you have challenged us and grown us through the Bible, through so many different avenues and so many different stories of everybody listening to this. God, I pray we would write those stories, that we would share those stories, that we would let other people see the hope that we have in Christ. And for those of us that are skeptics who doubt, I pray we would sit down with a pen and begin. We would try. We would take whatever we have and say, I have hope because, and maybe it's a tiny hope, but we, we can write that. We could share that. We can let people know why we have hope. God, you are my hope. I trust you. I believe you. You will, you will bring us through. Bless the church. Bless your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Each week we take up an offering. So if you are uh, visiting with us online, you can click the Give link up above, or you can go to our website, cbcfamily.church, and click Give there. Um, this is your opportunity to fulfill your responsibility as a, as a part of this church family to give. Um, thank you for continuing to give. I know it would be easy to let that slip, but so many of you have continued to give. You've started to give online, and I, I just want to thank you for that because it's allowing us to help broken people find hope. I'm going to pray that God blesses the offering today. We pray that you would receive this offering as we give this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're like me, um, then you might want to set up reoccurring donations. I got an email today. My donation is already processed. 
and uh, it's already done. So I didn't even have to think about it because it's a reoccurring donation. So think about that too. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today.